As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. episode of the shamrock i'm pete sampson joined as always by matt fortuna and today's special guest he's the co-host of my second favorite podcast ty hildenbrand the solid verbal um ty notre dame fan penn state grad um so you're, you're checking a couple significant boxes here um my favorite podcast is Men in Blazers, and as you know, that's a, a highly bald centric podcast. Uh, you are you are not, so that that's the only box that you're missing here for us. But uh, thanks for taking some time for us. Talk a little Notre Dame. Talk a little uh, podcasting. Um, how are you doing? Good. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm doing well. I we were talking a little bit before we hit record. It's very snowy here at the moment, and I believe there as well. So um, another box that is checked for being part of the shamrock yeah welcome uh early enrollees at notre dame this week especially uh tyler buckner from lovely la jolla california coming into nine inches of snow in south bend it's your new reality pete had to get his kids to school i had to get to northwestern Rutgers basketball game sunday night driving out of snowbanks in front of my garage you got to say goodbye to jim phillips and see if you can get him to Get Notre Dame to join the ACC full-time as part of his first day on the job, which is today, February 1st. But I had no luck. I did get there in one piece, though. So we're able to record this podcast and pick Ty's brain a little bit. So I, I got to admit here, I ha- probably have more questions for you guys than <laughs> you have for me. So if I interject with some of my own, um, please forgive me. I I wanted to get your inside take on this ACC thing because I know one of the questions that's come up continuously throughout the season when we get emails and when we read stuff from the inbox, like people want to know how, what, what's up with this ACC thing? What, what is the eventual output of this? Do you think it will change any minds at Notre Dame? I have long wanted them to be in some conference, and I thought it was interesting to see them in the ACC. I always thought it would be the Big Ten because geographically that makes sense, but you know, obviously they've got this longstanding affiliation with the ACC. Pete, Matt, what are the odds that there are any minds changing among the Notre Dame brass on this? I, I have long said that 
the experience this year increase the likelihood of Notre Dame joining the ACC from 0.5% to 1%. So it's, <laughs> so if you want to say that it's doubled, that they're twice as likely now, you could mathematically do that. Um, but I just, I never got, and Matt, I think you probably agree with me, like I never got the insight from anyone at Notre Dame that like, yeah, I think we should do this. Like this one year, like I love going to North Carolina four times. Like, I just I never got the vibe from anyone at Notre Dame that this is where this is all going to go. I've never gotten that vibe either. Um, I think this year went you know as smooth as possible, and I think it proved the benefits of this arrangement. Right when there's a once in every hundred years pandemic, hey, you've got a partner to dance with that will give you a full slate of games to play. And frankly, that schedule's easier than most schedules you're going to get because outside of Clemson, the ACC just isn't all that competitive football wise right now. Um, there's short-term sacrifices. There are long-term sacrifices. I mean, I, I can understand both ways. I just think that school is a place that thinks as a national brand so much. Pete had a great story on it a couple of years ago, talking to, to some big wig alums and you know how their donations are essentially affected by their independence and how they're able to recruit kids from all over this country and other countries. Our colleague Andy Staples had a pretty compelling open letter today to Jim Phillips on his first day as ACC commissioner saying we need you to get Notre Dame in full time and here's why. And the, the main out, main reason outlined, and I completely understand it, is ACC has a terrible television deal right now. Um, they got the ACC network probably in large part by getting Notre Dame as a partial member. Um, but, but once everyone else renews their media rights agreements, the ACC is going to be uh, a distant fifth and they're locked into that deal, I think, through 2036, which is pretty crazy when you think about how far off we are from there. So um, I, I understand why the ACC obviously will want to do it. And, and frankly, for Notre Dame, the short-term financial game gain would be there. Uh, but, but I just, I have a hard time seeing that happening. I've seen a path to that happening. I mean, the people I spoke to Notre Dame were thrilled when Jim Phillips got the ACC job because he worked at Notre Dame and he understands what makes that place tick and why independence is so important to them. So uh, I think the fact that they both speak the same language probably works in Notre Dame's favor as far as keeping their arrangement as is right now. But certainly if you're Jim Phillips and you've got people in your ear from all corners, you need to find a way to make more money from TV. And I don't know how you do that without expansion. And the easiest expansion target would obviously be Notre Dame. One of the things I know that, again, gets sent into us is a lot of, well, you know, the the overly skeptical college football fan who understands that money is a key driver behind everything. Look, it was the only reason they played a season this year because they needed to try and uh, sign some checks. And um, I think it's really easy to look at Notre Dame and a conference in terms of dollars and cents, but there is a cultural element of that independence that largely goes overlooked by people who aren't fully tied into Notre Dame or know what it's all about. And so that, I don't know, that's a compelling story, I think, to follow. Pete, you're probably right. I mean, you obviously would know better than I with regard to where Notre Dame stands on independence versus a conference. But uh, I do think there will be some interesting lessons learned coming out of this pandemic and the weird season that we had. And I'm, I'm just curious to see, maybe not in 2021, but in the short to medium term, if, if there are any hearts and minds that change. I think it's a matter of like how long can Notre Dame afford it, um, you know, and how you make the accounting work there. Because if the accounting is purely a media rights, like independence is expensive for Notre Dame. Like Jack Swarbrick has said to me, like, we lose money on this. Um, 
But if the accounting of independence is your endowment and your fundraising in the billions, in the hundreds of millions, then I think it's much easier to make that work. Um, so that's, that's where I think that cultural aspect matters, where I think there are a lot of places where the athletic department sort of licenses the logo and the colors of the school. Um, at Notre Dame, it's the other way around. Like the athletic department serves at the pleasure of the school, not the other way, or not, um, you know, not in reverse. And I think a lot of, a lot of ways, I think what is lost on maybe the casual fan is like Notre Dame football is a billboard for the university and it absolutely uses it that way. Um, where I think at a lot of other places, making the playoff is the only important thing right now. Um, and I, I just don't think that's the case at Notre Dame, like maximizing your likelihood of making the playoff is not first and foremost of the decision makers here. I, I would agree with that to echo Pete. I mean, I just think if they join the ACC by year five, I mean, I don't want to say they're just another team because they're Notre Dame. They're still a huge brand, but like they're not going to have that national following, that national love and hate. There's like, I wonder about the long-term damage of the kid in California growing up who's used to seeing Notre Dame every year out there, whether it's at Stanford or, or USC, is he still going to be attracted to that school as regular student. And I just, this is why I love college football. You know, like everyone is different. Like it's unfair. Like that's like, we're all argue. We talk about this 365 days a year. I mean, when I watch college football games this year without fans and without a band, like it just felt off. When I watch NFL games without a fan, I don't see any difference. Like football's football at the NFL level. Um, for, For me, college football is special because of all those quirks, all those traditions, all those things that don't make sense, but we started a hundred years ago and we're going to keep it that way. Like that's what I love and embrace about the sport. And Notre Dame's independence as a football program falls under that umbrella. And I just think long term there would be consequences for that. Now, again, if the playoff committee came out tomorrow and said, "Hey, during our next uh, expansion, we're only going to have conference champions," in, then yeah, you got to do it. Like you can't ignore reality. But I just yeah. don't see anyone putting a gun to Notre Dame's head just yet. Yeah, I mean, I guess the counterpoint is Clemson isn't taking a whole lot of trips to California, and they're still pulling DJ Uyunglele, right? So it's it, there are so many different ways that you could come at it. Ultimately, it's it's going to have to be how do they balance that cultural aspect that has been with the program forever versus the money, which couldn't end up being a much much bigger deal. Like you said, Pete, they take a loss on it. So I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm very curious on that angle. I tend to think that they will keep the status quo in place but um we we did just uh live through we're still living through uncertain and weird times so who knows yeah i remember you had me on your podcast in the summer and i think we were speculating about how many games notre dame was going to play this fall and i think i threw out three as like yeah like i take three at this point um they end up making the playoff uh playing what was you know one game short of a full schedule you know, Matt and I are a little bit more in the weeds with it, but as a as a fan, but also a, a national podcaster, I was just curious how you how you took in Notre Dame's uh, season this fall. And you know, I think I would tie that into something you guys say on your podcast a lot. Like the college football playoff is like college football is a TV show, and you know, maybe at the end you don't like the finale, but that doesn't mean you disavow the show entirely like how did you sort of take in Notre Dame season yeah this is a weird one um and I think I track a lot with again people who who listen to our show and are very boisterous and how they feel about things 
there was a certain level of ambivalence this year. Uh, on one hand, it felt like it wasn't a real season in many regards. Maybe not so much for Notre Dame because they did get, like you said, uh, mostly a full slate in. But obviously we had teams like Ohio State who weren't anywhere close to that. So it, there was an asymmetry to it, which felt weird and was tough to really get behind. There was the whole virus angle, which... Um, you know, on any given week, depending on if numbers were rising or falling, or you're hearing about protocols and things going wrong, things going right, it was just, it was a lot to consider. And I found myself asking the question all too often, like, should they really even be doing this? I'm not in the position to tell them if they should or shouldn't, mind you, but should they really be doing this? And how do I feel about it? So there were these additional layers stacked on top of it uh, that I think made it a little bit harder to fully commit to the season, like I might otherwise do that being said look they beat clemson in overtime and it's like okay this is i'm i'm fully on board here um so look there were there were certainly highs there were probably more lows just because of everything we went through as a society uh but in the end i think it was certainly and look you can't look at it any differently it was an incredibly successful campaign they made the playoff Obviously, we wish it went differently in that playoff game and certainly in the ACC championship as well. But nonetheless, to, I think, perform as well as they did, given crazy circumstances, you can't come away thinking anything other than like, hey, that was a big dub. You know, so from a fan standpoint, I feel pretty good about it. I, I've been trying to look as forward as I can into 2021 to figure out, all right, what what can we take away from 2020? What does 2021 look like just from a really high level? What did we learn this past season from some of the new faces that, you know, the Kyron Williams of the world who um, were relative nobodies, at least from from my really high level, um, that we can feel good about moving forward in 2021. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess to answer your question, it was uh, I probably wasn't as gung-ho as usual. But by the end, I came around to it, and now I'm really excited for 2021. What I feel like we ask every guest some variant of this question, but I think it, the fact we have to ask it shows just how wide a range of opinions you can get. As a follower and a devotee of this program, going into year 12 under Brian Kelly, I, I think in the same vein you just said, like it's been a big dub as far as like his tenure so far, even without a national championship to show for it. Are, are, do you... Say, all right, he's done a great job. This program's in a great place. We're, we're playing for a playoff spot every year. It's pretty much Alabama, Clemson, and everyone else. Uh, and we're the best of the everyone else. Or are you like, look, the recruiting's got to be better. He's not handling these losses well. Why do we not keep showing up for big games, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, how, how do you kind of process the last th- this period of Notre Dame football as a fan? I think it's yes and yes, <laughs> Matt, <laughs> to, to be honest with you. I think he's done a really good job. The program's in a much, much better spot now than it was when he took it over. And to that point, it's still a work in progress. It is still a work in progress. The job is not quote unquote done. They've gotten better. They still haven't really developed a quarterback. You know, like Ian Book was the first three year starter in Brian Kelly's tenure at Notre Dame. And I, you know, Ian Book was fine as a college quarterback, and the way that they structured the offense around him was fine. I I would be 
telling you a full-on lie if I said, looking at Ian Book and that offense, the way it was built, that they were going to go up and beat Clemson twice and then knock off a team like in Alabama. Like, there was just no way. There was there was not enough upside there, in my opinion, that Ian Book was going to strike the fear of God into any of those teams, and they were going to be able to make an improbable run to the national championship. So I, the recruiting has been strong across the board. They need to figure out a way to get stronger at the quarterback position, um, and they need to figure out a way to get the most out of talent, I think, at that position more specifically, because everywhere else it's been pretty good, maybe with the exception of like, what, cornerback? Um, you know, they've they've done well along the defensive line, along the offensive line, linebacker, even receiver. I mean, Chase Claypool, look at the year he had and the NFL tight end certainly is a is a bright spot. So I, I feel like across the board, recruiting's been strong. It's just um there are some noticeable gaps there most notably quarterback that I think really represents where Kelly needs to improve. So whether or not Tyler Buckner can be that guy after like not playing for a year, whether or not it's somebody else coming, coming down the pike, I don't know, but that's where my eye is drawn when I, when I think of recruiting at Notre Dame and, and where it maybe needs to improve. Well, Notre Dame now has your, the cone head uh, situation with right. cone and potentially a, a, lustily uh, is the backup better than the starter situation with Tyler Buckner. So who I think yeah. probably has a little bit of Baylor Baker Mayfield in him. So a little bit. <laughs> which, I enjoyed, yeah. I love the senior bowl coverage of Ian book where I think Todd McShay said that Ian he book said it still has some uh, Baker Mayfield in him, which was everybody. Look, who doesn't have a little bit of Baker Mayfield <laughs> in them, right? Anybody who's got a little bit of grit and some, some wheels in the pocket has a little bit of Baker Mayfield in him. And uh, I'm actually surprised they didn't use that more this year with respect to Ian Book. I, I don't think he has a lot of Baker Mayfield in him, to be clear. I'm not comparing the two. Baker Mayfield was a demonstrably better football player than Ian Book. But, um, you know, Book played with an edge. He he certainly, what, he ran, ran for almost 500 yards this year. So he he, he had some hops. Um I I get a, a smile every time I hear that uh, comparison by anyone to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I'd love. I think Brian Kelly actually used it himself in a press conference, but it was I want to say it was Book's sophomore year where maybe he was just playing a little bit, but it was maybe around the time like whatever happened with Baker Mayfield at Kansas was sort of fresh in everyone's mind. And Kelly immediately had to be like, I'm, and I'm not saying like he's like Baker Mayfield like personality wise, but I'm just saying his <laughs> game is similar. Yeah, no. You know what, though? The guys responded to Ian Book when he came in. I, I remember the circumstances under which he became the starting quarterback, and it was very uncertain, very uncertain. And there was no denying the fact that, I don't know if it was leadership, I don't know if it was that edge, if there was a cockiness or what, maybe just his mobility, whatever you want to pin it on, the guys around him, his teammates responded to him being in there, and uh, you know, love him or hate him, and uh, talk, I always talk about his ceiling and how I didn't think he was much more than a, a just a above average to good college quarterback. But the dudes around him responded to Ian Book, and that's certainly worth something. There was, I mean, you hit it right on the nose. There was a lot of uncertainty. I mean, he was a backup quarterback, so of course everyone was clamoring for him, and and I kind of thought like you're not gonna like like if he was better than Brandon Wimbush, who would have been starting by now because we've seen enough of Brandon Wimbush. 
And sure enough, like you said, he comes in that Wake Forest game in 2018. And I've said this on this podcast before, but I see Chip Long, you know, exiting the locker room after, and he gives me a look like my career could have gone one of two ways today. And it went the right <laughs> way. Um, thank God that worked. And yeah. Again, it didn't seem like he did anything special from a, a physical or schematic standpoint. It was just like they had someone behind the wheels of that offense who knew what he was doing and knew where everyone needed to go. And they were just – it hasn't really been the same program, I would argue, since he took over. So it, I don't know if we – I would go as far as say, like, me and Peter, like the pro Ian Book podcast, but, like, we've been very um, uh, tame when it comes to Ian Book Slater on this show just because I think – I mean, don't get me wrong, all the points you, you brought up were, were accurate. I just think when you look at what he had to deal with, when you look at the state of that program before he took over and, frankly, what they've done outside of him at the quarterback position, it's like – I don't know if you can can blame all the bad on this guy. Just, I mean, when Bennett Skoranek, God bless him, is your go-to guy, I mean, you're not going to beat Devontae right. Smith and, and T. Higgins. <laughs> no, I mean, look, Ian Book, Ian Book's numbers at Notre Dame, his win-loss record speaks for itself. And uh, I have a really bad habit of looking at quarterbacks from the standpoint of can they play in the NFL? And that's the absolute wrong way to look at any college quarterback because most of them don't. The ones that do are often not very good and um, at least the high-level guys, right? So um, that's on me. Ian Book was a very good quarterback for Notre Dame. He did give them stability at that position, which they did not have before he got there, frankly. I mean, it was a revolving door and um, he, he should be credited for that. It's was. I mean, I'm not saying he's... Not to bring up the Baker Mayfield comparison game, but when you, you bring up the right. NFL... You can do it, Matt. I know you want to if, do it. If Just anyone, it. If anyone had it. some Baker Mayfield on that offense, it was Kyron Williams. I know I'm not supposed to say that, <laughs> but that's the truth if you actually knew that locker room. The NFL comparison is interesting to me because if you look at the last three number one picks, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, I'm not sure any one of those guys would have had a roster spot a year beforehand in the NFL, and they all no. became number one picks. So the, the way the position has evolved for the better at the next level, I think is, is encouraging. Not, and I don't say this, you know, in regards to Ian Buck, I think he'll make a team and, you know, have as long careers he's willing to take probably. But I, I just think that whole dynamic has just been fascinating from a, you know, a big picture standpoint with the game of football. It, it is different the way that we look at the quarterback position now, isn't it? Cause uh, I remember even a guy like Lamar Jackson, who, you know, maybe didn't have as great a year this year as he did the previous year, but like guys like that coming out of college, there was a stigma that, well, they, they're not good enough as a passer to make it in this league. And it seems very quickly the NFL has evolved to now more of that that hybrid dual threat quarterback. You see it all. Kyler Murray was the first overall pick. I saw that. I was like, wow, this is this this is blowing my mind here. And Kyler Murray has been very successful. So it's you're right. The it's it's exciting to see. The and I don't follow the NFL as closely, nearly as closely as college, but it is exciting to see the way that the pro game is now changing to be a little bit more college like, especially at that quarterback position, because we've sort of had a front row seat to it happen, or as it's been happening over the last decade or so. As we see, 43 year old stiff as anyone, Tom well, Brady, right. get ready for another Super Bowl. <laughs> No, I, I agree. I agree. Patrick Mahomes yeah. would uh, fit into your argument and my argument from before. <laughs> yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I was curious how you, like, you know, obviously you've got a national podcast, you cover everything. I would highly recommend our listeners check it out if you're not already. It's like, it's kind of appointment listening while either either I'm on a treadmill or walking my dog to catch up on like everything that I missed because I was so in the weeds with Notre Dame. Obviously, you want to watch as much Notre Dame as possible. So I'm curious how you sort of try to take in the everything else. Like, how do you, yeah, how do you watch college football while working in it while also trying to be a fan? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about our show: if you're if you're looking for deep analysis of depth charts and schemes and um, you know advanced analytics, you will not find that on my show. We we just we don't have the ability to do that because we are trying to cover everything from I think a high enough level that the everyday fan can pick it up. They can enjoy listening about what's happening in college football. Um for a lot of folks that listen to us, I think our podcast might be the 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 most they're willing to commit to college football in a given year. They're just trying to get the overview of what's happening and the overview in a way that isn't really, you know, it doesn't make them feel bad about it. You know, we try to we try to bring our personality to it and and just have fun doing it. So I, I kind of approach everything from that standpoint. I will obviously never be as in the weeds on Notre Dame as you guys can be, but I also want to try and maintain that fan status. I want to watch the game like I would even if I didn't have a podcast, because if I'm able to do that, then I'm able to do a podcast in the most authentic way possible something that's relatable to people who don't have to worry about every box score in the nation, right? It's um I think it's important to us to try and maintain that that degree of authenticity. Um how do we follow everything? I read a lot, to be honest with you. I've tried the thing and I know people kind of talk about this out on social media and oh I had eight TVs going. I can't do that. I can't do the eight TV thing. I can't watch eight games at once. I'm lucky if I can watch one at once. And I just try to um, sample as many games as I can in the course of a weekend. I really like to read your website, The Athletic, especially reporters for losing teams, because I've often found that it's all rosy when you read the winning team's report. But if you look at the losing team's report, you'll actually find out what happened in the game and what went wrong. So that's been kind of like my pro tip for the last decade or so of doing our show. Um, thankfully, there are pirates on YouTube who will cut together games in like a 12-minute form where you can just buzz through without commercials, without huddles, without commentary. And I found that over the course of time, that's actually a really good way to get a sense for the rhymes and rhythms of a game. What happened in a game, 
who had momentum, who didn't have momentum, because that's what the sport's all about, right? It's it's all about momentum. Maybe not quite to the gr- to the degree of like college basketball, but college football is is similar with respect to momentum. So I I like to try and just get those high level indicators, however I can, to at least come into a podcast recording feeling informed, and that I can talk knowledgeably about most of the subjects that people care about. Um, and, and still do so in an authentic way. How did this all start? How did, you know, where'd you meet Dan? How far back do you guys go? And I mean, did you ever, I mean, I went on a couple of years ago to preview the Big Ten and, you know, my friends from college, you know, they're not going to be listening to our name podcast so they went to Penn State, but, oh, we heard you on the solid verbal. It's like, it just, it's just become, you know, this, I wouldn't even say cultish following among college football fans. I think it's bigger than that. I mean, did you ever see it? turning it into this because a lot of people point to you guys as kind of the godfathers of college football podcasting which again everyone has a podcast now but it wasn't always that way yeah well we were first i think i think there was um a little bit of luck in being first we dan and i were both doing separate gigs for sports illustrated at the time i was writing just a a weekly freelance college football article he was doing video and coincidentally enough he went to a penn state game my alma mater, and I saw the video, I think it was Penn State, Ohio State, back in like 2007. And um, I had reached out to him like, hey, we we do work for the same website. I saw your video, thought it was really cool. And we hit it off. At the time, I had done some podcasting. Um, I, I was like really early on the podcast thing before there was a word. Like 2002, 2003, I was dabbling with like the technology behind it and um we eventually put our heads together decided we wanted to start this thing and no did we have any idea that it would get to this point no, nowhere close to it you know we i remember when we had 11 listeners for three months and it was like this is the coolest thing ever <laughs> and then we set targets along the way let's get to 40 let's get to 100 and by the time 2000 so we started officially in 2008 by the time 2011 rolled around we got picked up by the Grantland Network podcast, which was the Bill Simmons sort of spinoff of of his ESPN.com work. And that was really a huge catalyst for us. It turned a lot of folks onto what we do. Just as having this fire hose of sports fans who are tuned into your show was, was a really big deal for us. And um, th- that was probably the biggest early moment for us. And we've obviously done a lot since then that's helped build the show up to where it is now. But no, you you know, anytime you start anything, you don't, I, I don't think, have any designs on on things getting uh, quite this big. And, and frankly, you know, we we started in '08. I can't tell you the number of times I thought podcasting as a medium was going to die, that it was dead. We didn't make money for years of doing this thing. We, it wasn't about the money for us. It still isn't. And um, so to see the way that the podcasting medium has grown and with with so many steps along the way that have helped buoy the medium as a whole, that part of it's been really exciting to follow as well. So um, yeah, we were we were lucky. We got in early. I, I like to think we have a good product that we we care a lot about with with respect to quality and and just the general look and feel and, and authenticity of it. But um, I don't know. I'm rambling, but here we are. <laughs> you made it to the Shamrock. All right. <laughs> what? Yeah, thank I mean, you. Yeah, you can call it a career now. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I really enjoy about the verbal is like it's there's like an it's an appointment podcast for me with like 
a very regular, reliable intro. Not just like, I mean, Mike Gundy turned 40 13 years ago. <laughs> but like the reverbs, and I'm curious like how you sort of settled on like the reverbs in particular, because I do think other people have tried that. No one has done it as successfully as that. And that like, it really set, like college football can be a very angsty follow for a lot of fans. Like I think they, they sort of hate their own team in some ways. Oh, yeah. But like the yep. reverbs really, like one, it taps into that, but then it makes everybody else laugh. And they're like, kind of like, oh, you're just like me. Like I feel that way about the team that I watch. Like how did, how did the reverbs come to be? Why do you think that works so well? I think college football is really tribal, and I think to your point of everyone secretly hating their own team, it, we've been able to fashion it as a cathartic experience where people can call in, get whatever is on their chest off it, and if it's a compelling enough message, if it's interesting enough to make the cut, because we get hundreds upon hundreds of these in a given week, um, it's something that makes people feel a sense of ownership with what we're doing. The The idea behind it, honestly, I think we we registered a free Google Voice number. And it was like, okay, cool. What can we do with this? And for, for a long time, as you know, like this, the, the balancing act, I think, in the sports world between being a quote-unquote podcast or being a quote unquote like standard issue sports radio show. Like to walk that balance is really hard. And in the very beginning stages of us doing the show, I would always think in terms of sports radio, which is what I knew. Like how can we how can we take live calls? That's one question I still get. How do we how do we take live calls and be like a sports talk show? And I think that was why I registered the number. And it took me a while to figure out that taking live calls doesn't really make for a special podcast actually taking messages and playing them after the fact making it a part of your show that people can look forward to that's something that would actually be an an appointment listen for a lot of people who are interested in college football in the show so i don't know it happened organically kind of by accident but um it has really become a thing um i can't tell you how many we get in a given week because it's 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 in the hundreds, literally in the hundreds of people who call in and um, a lot of folks who call in multiple times in the same week just to talk about the first quarter and the second quarter, the third quarter or a play or a touchdown or a moment. And we have really been able to use that, I think, to help guide us when we do a show on Sundays because it, it on top of all the other stuff, reading the 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 losing teams recap, looking at those 12 minute supercuts. Nothing is going to give you the temperature of the college football ether much more than listening to hundreds upon hundreds of calls that come in um, late at night when people maybe have a few too much in them um, uh, early Sunday morning when they wake up and um, they have a chance to stew over a game. That That's a really good barometer for where the college football universe is at. And I think it helps us. You've been doing this long enough. I'm curious if there have been any whether it's actual call or an email or someone you meet when you're on the road, anyone you've met who you're like, wait, you're a listener, like, like coaches, players, alums, you know, anyone that's really made your jaw drop as far as like, wow, I've reached this guy. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've had some, um, some, some pretty prominent, you know, what, what the first thing that always gets me is that media types. 
sports media types, college football media types listen to our show because um, maybe I still have a little bit of imposter syndrome. I don't know, but I, I always think, wow, these are people who um, they have sources, they have methods, you know, they, they can find out anything they need to find out. Why do they listen to us? Um, that always sort of blows me away. Um, we, we definitely have some high profile people who listen. We had a chance to interview Matthew McConaughey, which was super athletic investor, Matthew McConaughey, but go on. (laughs) Yeah. Like that, that was, that was super cool for us to, cause we had been trying to get him on the show forever and it just so happened he had a book to promote and the timing worked out. So that was, that was a cool moment for us. The ones that honestly, I think had the most impact on me, um, we get a lot of emails from folks who are like serving abroad. I remember one in particular, we had a soldier who was like on the front lines in Afghanistan saying that he was out, he was serving his country admirably and um, did not have a chance to follow college football on a week to week basis. So what he would do is he would download an entire season's worth of solid verbal episodes and binge listen to them after the season because he knew he couldn't follow the games, but this was kind of his way of like following along and being up to speed with what happened. He could kind of live each, each, uh, each week in an episode. And that, that to me was just incredible on a number of different levels. We get stuff like that um, from people who serve. We did a show in particular in DC where, or no, actually I think it was one of our live shows we did in New York where uh, we had a gentleman come up to us and say, just want you to know that your podcast helped me get through a really difficult time. I lost my job. And again, we don't, we think of it in terms of like our goofy little thing that we started when we were both living at home back in 08, but you don't realize until you hear from folks how it touches them and, and, and podcasting as a whole, right? Like it fits into weird nooks and crannies of people's lives, whether they're walking the dog or at the gym or driving home from work you don't realize your ability to connect with people and what it means to to have that connection. So anytime you get to meet people and, and hear their story about uh, what the show means to them, it's it's incredibly humbling. And it, it definitely is the engine that keeps us wanting to do more of it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm curious about live shows because that was something that we've sort of talked about a little bit um you know as if the, the shamrock could do a live show post game or something or you know it's out then at some bar but like how, what do you what do you like about that um and you know is it you sort of get that human connection there that is that is that the best part about it from your point of view it's it's the best part about it but i think anything live is such an adrenaline rush um i find that even though we can do a podcast on demand, right? And we can take it into post and we can make edits and we can tweak stuff. The best shows that Dan and I do are the ones where we're like, we're playing without a net where we got a video stream running. We've got something going and 
we couldn't make an edit even if we wanted to. And I think that carries over into the actual live stuff. Some of the, sh- some of the best shows that we've done, just episodes in general that we've done, have been in front of a live audience. There is no net. You can't make any edits. And um, I, think, I think we've done a really good job of that. Um, it helps that we try to really build in a cool theme you know, we, we have this thing, fantasy things on our show that we, we didn't do last year because of the pandemic, but hopefully can do again this year where it, it just lends itself really well to uh, a live audience. I, th- I think the one thing that we found is that whereas on like a normal Sunday show, we would be somewhat in the weeds covering all the games and talking through recaps and what each game meant in concept or uh, in, excuse me, in context. But uh, when you've got a live audience out there on a Friday or Saturday night, they're looking to have a few drinks and laugh and have fun. So that bit we we tweaked, we learned very early on that people just want to have a good time. And so we found a, a concept that works well for the audience. Um, we're able to kind of incorporate all of that that rush of, uh, of doing something live. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's a combination of things. It's it's inarguably one of like the coolest things that we get to do. And um, hopefully once all this clears, we'll be able to, to schedule more of them. Get, get a little too mushy here. Any, any haters, any negative, anyone, and Mike Gundy ever call you up and say, quit using me uh, or any, you know, I mean, you've done this long enough. I'm sure there've been, you know, one or two instances where, Oh wait, he listens. All right. I, I forgot. I'm talking about another human being here yeah. or something like that. <laughs> there are, there are some coaches who I know listen and uh, some ha- they, they either listen or follow along on Twitter or both. And so at least in that respect, you get some interesting feedback. Um, directly or through you know, other mediums? Uh, sometimes directly. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes directly. Of course, you always get your, your, your negative email or, or negative review. Um, that's, I just stopped looking at the reviews at this point because I know they're going to be as the bigger you get, the more negative reviews there are. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So I, I stopped looking at those a long time ago, even though I know they're important uh, every week. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost a daily thing where you get emails from folks who uh, disagree with you and oftentimes disagree with you very vociferously. I think the thing that, I have always taken solace in is the fact that even the people who disagree are generally pretty nice about it. And I count that as a, as a pretty big win. So yeah, you get both sides of it, right? It's, it's kind of the nature of the beast and um, you, you, you do your best to try and fix things where you think they're broke. And if it, otherwise you just got to be confident with what you're doing and, and know that you're trying to do the best job possible. When's the last time you were at a Notre Dame football game? Woo. And if we do a live show, can you attend it? I would love to. The last okay. time I was at a Notre Dame football game, what year did they play Temple? At the oh, at the uh, fifteen Halloween, fifteen. Yeah, that was Notre Dame's biggest win of the year. <laughs> yes, I was. So interesting story of that game. I was at that game, and I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar, familiar with the Philly area, but I'm very close to Philly. I know Philly well. And the night that they played that game, obviously it was a big deal for Temple, right? That was an, I think it was an ABC game. game. Day, yeah. yeah. Saturday night, Herb Street, a huge Fowler, deal. all that stuff. 
Yeah, it was a huge deal. And at the time, there was something else going on in Philly. I think Hall- I think it was Halloween. It's Halloween and it's Halloween. The Mets were losing in the World Series that night, and my friends in Philly were taking great joy out of that. I don't know if that would have been directly what you're referring to, but there, there was another sporting event. I don't know if it was the Sixers or the Flyers or what. I don't know what it was, but there was something else going on in town, and so you know, like Philly is not a college football town. Obviously, that game got a lot of fanfare given that Notre Dame was coming to town, but you can still get tickets. And there were a bunch of folks who had just wandered into the game, three sheets to the wind, um, finding their seats and just rooting against Notre Dame. So we had, I went with my wife, we had a couple of those folks behind us and I was dressed in full Notre Dame regalia. And there was a moment in that game where the guys behind me were ready to throw down. Took my hat, threw it off my head. In Philly, really? In <laughs> Philly, I know it's hard to believe. Hard to believe. I am not a fighter. I was like, uh, okay. Like I have to drive home. I haven't had anything. What What do I do in this moment? And my wife, um, God lover, decided that she was ready to throw down. And um, needless to say, I was breaking up a fight at that point, or a near fight between my wife and these guys behind us who then left after um, even though it was a close game left after they had their fill of college football. And um, that thankfully that, that sort of lowered the temperature, but um, you did not expect to get into a fight potentially at a Notre Dame temple game of all places. Again, Philly is not a college sports town, but it just so happened. We, we happened to wander into the stadium at the moment where uh, there were other forces at play and uh, I like to tell the story that my wife scared him off. We'll go with that one. It that sounds was, like it, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was yeah, one of the bit. few times where I've actually felt uncomfortable walking from the parking lot to the stadium. Yeah. Based on the tailgating that was happening. Like, it was it was aggressive. It really was. Yeah. It really was aggressive. And um, I, I, did, I just did not see that coming. This Again, Philly, I cannot emphasize this enough. There are a lot of Penn Staters who live in Philly. There are a lot of, um, yeah, obviously, college graduates who live in Philly, but Philly in and of itself is it's an Eagles town. Full stop. It is an Eagles town, and everything else is like third place. Temple does not really have a spot on that totem pole. So it was strange to me that there would be so much animosity towards Notre Dame. Uh, I know Notre Dame's easy to hate, but that one caught me off guard. So kudos to my wife for scaring off the... the uh, <laughs> The wraparound. As I see the New York Giants football helmet in your background, and as a guy who grew up a Giants right. fan, and we were talking about Philly, I felt the same way when I got to Penn State. It was just like you're from New York, f you, and I'm like, hi, Matt, nice to meet you. Like I didn't like <laughs> it, that. That's just that's Philly. That, that's I don't say it good or bad. That's just who they are. Um, positive memory. Or how about this? Notre Dame Stadium. When's the last time you've been there? Um, and what are your memories from there? Hopefully that don't involve belligerent guys starting to fight with your wife behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um gosh, I'm I'm blanking on the years. I was at the Bush Push game, which was was certainly the one that I I think I remember the most. I was at um another installment of the USC Notre Dame game a couple of years after that. I'd have to go back and check what year, but it's probably been a good 10 years since I was there. Because it's just, we do a recap first thing on Sunday mornings, and 
it's so hard to get to games, especially one that's uh, as far away. So um, it's been a while for me. I, I, I'd love to. One of the things I said to Dan is that after all this is over with the pandemic and it's safe to go out and, you know, kind of be normal again, I would love to go out to, uh, frankly, any college football game, but definitely a Notre Dame game just to kind of wake up the echoes, if you will. Soldier Field, we'll do a live show, Wisconsin, the Jack Cone Bowl, Wisconsin, Cone Bowl. Notre Dame, okay. Chicago. I'll host everyone. That is not a, that's not a bad idea, actually. Let's do it. I think we should, let's let's yeah. make this happen. I mean, we we'll we'll be the warm up act for you guys. Like we uh, run out uh, run out a hall. Shamrock can go first. Solid verbal goes second. Is the is the main event? I, I so like that's it. that's what the end of September. End of it's the last weekend in September. Weather should okay. be good. Um, obviously, we've got all this pent up demand. Well, our, our producer John, our producer John is from Philly together. and has probably muted all of us once we started yeah. <laughs> defacing the Philly name. So he might not be up for this. But. Yeah, I love Philly. I mean, I'm I I identify mostly as being from the Philly area, um, but Philly's got its quirks. They're they're well documented and uh, they were on display, at least in that instance. For we'll me. get you and Mike McGlinchey on the pod. <laughs> because we might get tie on with mike mcglinchey in a room together and we'll see who wins that battle yeah he's a little bigger than me but yeah godspeed and good luck to you on that one all right well we'll let you get out of here on this notre dame in 2021 like what do you expect what do you want to see what um when we gather in chicago in late september to do our multiple live podcasts together uh what is Notre Dame, gonna, Notre Dame football going to look like? I think they're going to be better than expected. I really do. Um, I have never been a huge conehead. If you've listened to the show, you know that I'm, I don't. I I did not previously think all that much of Jack Cone, but I think it's a really smart move to bring him in because there's this gap now where Notre Dame doesn't know who its quarterback is going to be in the short or long term. And I think he makes sense there. He's a different quarterback than Ian Book, much different quarterback. Jack Cohn has something like negative 11 total rushing yards over the span of his college career. So he, he's a different guy. He's, he's a, a bigger kid. Uh, he completed almost 70% of his passes the last time we saw him in a starting role. And um, so I think he can make that offense work. I think it will look different. And... Um, so the passing game is really of interest to me, as it was this year, but especially now moving forward with Jack Cohn. I think that they will be mostly okay on offense once we get a few games under the belt to build some momentum, but I, I feel okay about that. Defensively, uh, I'm a little worried about cornerback, as I am pretty much every year and have been since uh, <laughs> like the late Shane 90s. Shane Walton and Vontez Duff. Right, right. That's... Uh, that's probably nothing new, but I do think as a whole, the team will be better than expected, and I don't know to what heights they can climb in 2021, but in looking ahead, I know that they've got Ohio State and Clemson on the schedule in both 2022 and 2023, and so whatever whatever they're going to do, if they're going to shock the world and surprise anyone, it's going to have to be this coming year, so let's... Uh, Let's get excited about hopefully the uh, 
most fun we've had watching college football in uh, our lifetimes in 2021 because I think there's a lot of repressed fandom after this goofy year that we've had. I, I'm just, I am looking forward more than anything to some degree of normalcy. Whatever that looks like, hopefully we don't have these, you know, uh, oblong schedules and and goofiness out there and protocols and and having to constantly worry about a virus. So I'm I'm looking forward to normalcy. I am hopeful that Notre Dame is going to be a little bit better than um, might meet the eye. And uh, maybe we'll do that live show in Chicago. You gave us our new podcast saying we want to be domes on domers, but Coneheads might have to do it for me and Pete. Um, <laughs> you could, That's a free suggestion. You can take yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, management felt like domes on domers a little too like, yeah, what does that mean? I just, it's like I've never seen these guys before. Like it's quite obvious. But Yeah, no, I like it. Uh, we had to, we had to stick with the shamrock. So I guess yeah. Until we we meet in Chicago, I'm sure we'll be talking <laughs> again at some point in the off Absolutely. season. Uh, I I share your optimism that we'll be previewing a normal college football season that will be filled with normal fans drinking normal beverages together. Um, I think that was it was one of the things like at the Clemson game, even though that the first Clemson game, even though that Notre Dame had eleven thousand people there, I couldn't help but like cover that game and not think about like. There are a lot of people who should be making the memories of their college football lifetime right now that are not. Um, yeah. And so I really hope that that's where we are next season. I I feel really bad for, you know, kids who have had to deal with this throughout their senior year of high school, um, senior year of college. Um, it, th- those are really formative times. It's no one's fault, obviously. It's just we find ourselves in this goofy situation, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can get back to some degree of normalcy and that this coming football season is going to be more fun than we've ever had before. All right. Well, Ty, thanks again for coming on the show. Our listeners, if you're not subscribed to the solid verbal and listening, I don't know what your problem is. You should be doing that um, <laughs> because you really should broaden your high horizons outside of Notre Dame football. Uh, solid verbal is a perfect, hilarious place to do that. So Ty, until we talk again, thanks for being with us on the Shamrock. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ty. Thank you.